Hey, everybody. Hey. This is uh, Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Hi, Above Joe Patrice. the Law. Th- hello. I am joined by Catherine Rubino and Chris Williams. We are your part of or the, the, the majority of your editorial team for Above the Law. And we're here to, as we do every week, discuss the big stories in legal of the week that was. Uh, but before we do that, we always like to begin with a little, a little chatter, a little coffee talk, kind of. We coffee call it. Talk. Small our talk. small talk session, yeah. I like small talk. Yeah. How's everybody doing? Good. It's uh, beginning to look a lot like Christmas in my neck of the woods. Spent mm-hmm. not unsubstantial portion of the weekend making sure that my house was decked out for the you holiday up, season. You put up Christmas decorations prior to Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I'm a big heinous. fan of them. No, it's not. That is no. heinous. All right, so so I'm on Catherine's side on this, and here's here's my defense of it. I, you I've are been, both wrong. The truth no. does not need backup. No. There's uh, a whole holiday in between. The, which yeah. is a precursor to Christmas. Right. It's its own thing. One, I, ce- I, I celebrate FDR Thanksgiving, so it's the week before. Uh, <laughs> two, no. Uh, but in all seriousness, I... I think that if you live in California or Florida, fine, you can wait mm-hmm. until after Thanksgiving. But you put anybody who says like, oh, they shouldn't put them up too early has clearly never attempted to put up decorations when it's zero degrees outside. I think there's also a corollary to that, which I strongly believe in, which is that it makes it much more cheerful. There is no sun at 4.30 in the afternoon. So being able to be like, it's dark out, I want to go to bed, instead of at 5 p.m. being like, it's my bedtime, I turn on my Christmas trees. Mm. And they they sparkle and they twinkle and they make it cozy and make it not like I want to just curl up in a ball and die. So, right. you know, Well, w. you know why? Because you're missing out on your opportunity to sympathize with the pilgrims and suffer like they did before <laughs> They were given their wonderful, kind meal of turkey. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I enjoy my turkey. I enjoy my turkey. Don't get me wrong. But I also really, and listen, there's not that long that we get to enjoy the sort of joyous decoration. I'm going to, utilize, I spend a lot of time and money on my Christmas decor. I'm going to, I'm going to have it up for a minute. Okay. Go to Home Depot and get a 10 foot turkey. Put that outside. I mean, I don't actually have a problem with that, but the, but I'm not like. No, I'm telling you, no please do. That would be cool to see. <laughs> <laughs> the problem with Thanksgiving, which is one of my favorite holidays, uh, just because there's not really anything attached to it, but food and football. But the problem with it is that. Giving thanks also. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Sure. Uh, but the, the big problem with it is it's it's not a seasonal thing. Like the, like the Christmas, Halloween, these are all holidays where there's like a whole set of things that go for a couple of weeks, if not a whole month beforehand. Mm -hmm. And Thanksgiving is really just like a grind right until the day of. I mean, I do think the day before gets a lot of play, but that's basically it. Yeah. So what you're saying is we need a Thanksgiving advent calendar. (laughs) Right. (laughs) More advent calendars, please. The day before is always a big day because that's the day that you get home from college, law school, whatever, Mm -hmm. and get completely plastered with the people from high school and start wondering, why was it I hung out with? Oh, my world is bigger now. Interesting. (laughs) But I do love a good advent calendar moment. My 
best friend from childhood who grew up across the street from me bought my baby a little people's advent calendar, which I'm super, Aww. super excited to do with her. I mean, she's doesn't understand things like gifts or anything, but I'm excited for it nevertheless. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that it's a fun way to extend the joy of the season. As far as uh, de- developmental stages come, I think consumerism comes right after baby's first words and walking. <laughs> You know what the best advent calendar is? What? It's the one where you have Hans Gruber falling from Nakatomi Plaza every day. Amazing. This is real. This, I, I buy this that is that's a real. Thing. I mean, yeah. again, we live in a consumerist world. I'm pretty sure you can buy anything. Yeah, there's that. Oh, and I'm just looking at it. There's now multiple of them. Uh, but, there, but there was an original a couple years ago that I saw and was very impressed with. Also, one last small talky thing before Joe does his favorite part of the talk, which is just work talk. Mm-hmm. Um, for anybody <laughs> that's interested in Soulsborne games, you know, like Bloodborne, Sekiro, Dark Souls mm-hmm. 1, 2, 3, what have you, Lies of P, P is in Pinocchio, is pretty damn good. So no, check that out. Uh, there's a leveling system where you invest in your P organ. I don't know why they named it that. They could have just called because it Because it's yes, pancreas. Do. Because it's a pain. It is. It is. It is a different P organ. Um, okay. But it's it's, pituitary it's, gland? it's got a lot of heart. It's got a lot of heart. <laughs> but yeah, organ. check that out if you've been looking for a game to make you suffer because you deserve it. Lies of P. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm through one playthrough of Starfield and am wildly bored. So not, <laughs> I may as well do that. What a yeah. disaster that that is. Isn't that the one that was like delayed when they a launched year? it? Yeah. Yeah. It's the one that Bobby Lee like dumped his girlfriend over. Yeah, that's yeah. great. It seems like he probably shouldn't have done that. Anyway, the comedian. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Okay, because in my mind I was like, wait, Bobby Flake, but I was like, that's a different Bobby. That that is a different Bobby who probably does not play video games. My guess is no. I don't yeah. know that about Bobby Flay, but uh, <laughs> he's too busy taking over the Food Network to do much video gaming. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. I really uh, do like his new triple threat show, I'll just say. Oh, yeah? I'll put it out there. I really enjoy it. Yeah, that's that one. the one where like they have to beat three. Yeah, it's with Tiffany yeah. Derry, Michael Voltaggio, and Brooke and Williamson. Brooke, yeah. I enjoy it. Yeah, so cooking shows, great. C- cooking shows, Christmas trees, What's and video games. What's cooking up with the law? <laughs> there you go. Well, actually, I was going to, before we depart on that, like triple threat, that kind of, what I like about that as a format mm-hmm. is that it really reflects a litigant's journey. Because you go you to a district right court and you might win and then the appellate court and then ultimately the the points are worth double and nothing mattered when you end up going against the Supreme Court. Did you just come up with that analogy right now or have you been ruminating about the ways in which triple threat on the Food Networkers like the appellate process? No, I, I just came up with it now. I did not devote any time to this before. Liar. <laughs> we can right. see your notes, Joe. You know you wrote this down. <laughs> Introducing it's our in purple new- ink, man. Would I just make this up for the podcast? Introducing our new sponsor, the Food Network. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> all right, everybody. Uh, I feel like we've accomplished. Uh, we've 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 talked, and it was small. <laughs> small talk. Okay. What's up? Uh, what's up on the uh, agenda for this week? What's our first thing? Uh, his as has above the law covered a story, or has above the law been the story? Both. Oh, interesting. Good news. Good news. Both. Uh, so as it turns out, 
I need to get myself a t-shirt that mm. reads <laughs> Donald Trump asked for a mistrial because I wrote something mean about him and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> that is a humorous, flex. comma, irreverent. Yeah. That, that is, is a so, flex. Thanks, right? Like, yeah, so Donald Trump moved for a mistrial in his New York fraud case. It has since been denied. Uh, but he had several random grievances. It's the same, same old, same old complaining that the Judge Enger, Justice Engeron talks to his clerk for some reason, that's a problem, whatever. Uh, a bunch of nonsensical arguments. But the arguments that uh, were new to this, this filing was mm -hmm. they found out that the justice actually is the editor of his high school alumni newsletter, which just... Bless, bless his heart. It's that just is so, like, a, like uh, adorable, Yeah, frankly. it's like an email newsletter to alums yeah. who want to see it. Of it's like, delightful. Hey, Why was there a problem with that? News from that. Yeah, so, uh, well, included, not necessarily included by him, uh, actually, like, we don't really know, but uh, he is suspect, the editor. Suspect, yeah. yeah. Uh, we suspect, but included in some issues were links to stories about a Wheatley High School alum, in this case, him, uh, doing this case. And one of them in was- In the news. One of them was a story written by me that pointed out that in, in the most polite fashion possible, of course. Of because course. that's how I write. Of course. Uh, it, very politely pointing out that Trump's lawyers seem to have absolutely no fucking clue how privilege works. Mm. Uh, and that story was put in the newsletter with the- Editorial Editorializing comment. that this was a humorous and irreverent take that is net listed as one of the bullet points why they feel they deserved a mistrial, that he had a newsletter that had described Joe Patrice's article as a humorous and irreverent take. They don't name me, but that's what it is. And then the second, uh, uh, there's another bullet point, uh, our colleague, Liz Dye, who writes for us, also had written an article, again, praising uh, the excellent legal work of Alina Hava. Uh, yeah, uh, mm. and so- mm. I've read some of Liz Dye's stuff. <laughs> yeah, so Liz Dye pointed out that one of Trump's lawyers is incredibly stupid. That also ended up in the newsletter, and that also is an argument that they made for mistrial. Uh, this, this was all denied. Justice is and like, there were I, lots of other links yeah. in these newsletters. A lot of them are very dry, newsy yes. sorts of takes. I mean, obviously, above the law, we endeavor not to be dry and like that. But uh, there were some just kind of straight up news articles about the case that were also listed in the motion as problematic, which I think, you know, kind of very much undermines the point that they're trying to make. Yeah, so, the, so that was a fun story. It was fun. Uh, to be Good the center of something for a little bit. Uh, the justice ultimately denied it. And with, the, with these particular allegations, denied it by saying that, yeah, I edit this thing. Obviously, I didn't write these stories. There's no indication that I wrote these stories. This is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. uh, so there we are. Well, there you go. I mean, it is it is kind of interesting. And that's one of the things about writing for a publication that caters to lawyers. Mm. <laughs> right. You know, it's uh, they come up. Oh, well, so that was that was fun. Anything else on that? that anyone has i mean i i i can i'm fine to move on i mean this is a story I mean, I'm just, just, I'm just on, yeah i'm just waiting on one of elon's lawyers to point to the story i wrote you know how much yeah, shit go. i'm gonna talk if, <laughs> I get, if, if i get caught up with dunking on you know emerald guy like even yeah. his family even if his family doesn't have an emerald mind it's still funny to say it's just like cartoonish villain well and you know he is 
uh, threatening lawsuits uh, as we speak. So we'll see if any of that turns out into being anything. Are you going to spin those threads into gold there? Yeah, we, we might have to talk about that next week. Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found. All right, we are back. Let's talk about uh, Florida, I guess. Got thoughts on Florida? Yeah, there's a there's a lot of talk about how teachers are underpaid, which is true, but looks like it costs more to not listen to them. There were some professors who wanted to get paid as expert witnesses, which makes sense because if you're if you wrote the book on the thing, why wouldn't you get paid to wax poetic about what is and isn't the case in a courtroom. But Florida does their I hate teachers thing. They want to prevent teachers from being able to be expert witnesses. Unfortunately, the teachers knew their shit. They won. They won the case. They're able to be mm-hmm. expert witnesses. And they got left, and Florida got left with a bill to the tune of about $372,000. And they have to pay for it, which they're not a fan of because, you know, they, they can't afford things anyway. And the law firm that the teachers got, because they're have common sense, you know, they need some good representation. Uh, they got a dip of voice in Plimpton. Uh, mm-hmm. And it turns out that the firm was taking the case at a reduced fee. Like it would have been more if the firm was billing up market price, but still there's complaints over if they have to actually pay it or not in Florida. So this comes up a lot where the U.S. system, unlike some other countries, does not generally make you you know, make the loser pay the winner's legal fees. Mm -hmm. There's some arguments for and against that. I've always felt that an advantage of making people do that would be, uh, or at least like in constitutional cases and stuff like that, we probably should have a system that makes the loser pay. Like you shouldn't be, this is kind of like how slaps, uh, anti-slap suits work. Like you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to pay your own bills when you're being hit with, Quasi frivolous yeah. attempts to restrict your constitutional rights. No, that, yeah. But uh, now, then the next question, of course, is: Do you get to hire Debevoys and uh, charge those char- charge the loser those fees, or is it you know knocked down to something reasonable? In this case, there were discounts off of Debevoys's actual rates, so there's that going mm-hmm. on for them. But yeah, no. Uh, so the Ron DeSantis's continued bankrupting of Florida through bad litigation continues. Is that what we're hearing? <laughs> yeah. 
So I, I, mean, I guess the my question is in a thing like this where it's a, a civil suit, how would you determine what counts as reasonable fees? Yeah, so the usual meth- method is to look at what the prevailing market prevailing rate. market rate is. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would probably look in that jurisdiction, uh, which mm-hmm. is kind of a. I mean, there are there are flaws with that, right? Like the the a local lawyer in some Jacksonville court, not to say there aren't great lawyers in Jacksonville, but those lawyers are probably not charging what Debevoise is. And when the case involves, I don't know, why did I say Jacksonville? I I can't remember exactly where this case was brought, Gainesville, whatever. But whatever the locality, when it's involving constitutional rights and stuff like that, it's going to be it's going to be national in focus and so you probably need to consider that you're probably going to hire a new york big law firm to get involved or at least a national brand of some variety yeah i think that's fair so yeah it's a complicated question to figure out what the right rules should be for determining fees but yeah courts grapple with it and try to come up with something i don't know if this is constitutionally big but teachers being able to be expert witnesses it seems like it has some far reach that would be something that's yeah. like a people in the profession would care deeply about. You know, I wouldn't want some necessarily some mom and pop firm that doesn't have as much rep- as much resources to be the ones determining if they get to speak or not at cases. Yeah. I mean, because this really is a this is in many ways it was a free speech case, right? Because mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. was not that they were opposed to expert witnesses per se. They were opposed to expert witnesses saying things that they didn't like expert witnesses going around and saying. And yeah, expert witness testimony is key. To law professors, because, you know, law professors don't make a ton, right? Like yeah. it, like they're better paid than a lot of academics, but that's a yeah. incredibly low bar. And with their education, they have opportunities to be making a lot more money in the private sector as a lawyer. So being able to take these engagements to consult on cases to, you know, be an expert witness. They, I mean, that that's supplemental income that's kind of important to them. Mm-hmm. So, because we're at a point where even big law associates are having like side gigs, <laughs> like people are starving <laughs> right. for money. So, well, you know, that's a that actually is a great transition. Okay, so we have talked about this for a few weeks because this is, of course, the big legal industry conversation for a while. Uh, Millbank has issued bonuses already and mm-hmm. has issued. A Reasons. cost of living adjustment, I okay, call it. You, that's definitely what you're calling it. But I, I think that certainly the way that the firm's talking about it is just that they're pure raises. I mean, the firm talked about it as they're increasing compensation, which I think is a mm-hmm. generic term for it. Uh, I think the media and definitely the detractors of this are talking about it being a raise and, oh, it's spending so much more money. But it is a modest move. And I think back to Milbank did this back in 2018. Yeah, they did this in 2018. And at the time then they described it as really just kind of a cost of living move. We understood that prices have gone up and uh, the money we were paying doesn't go as far. And so we made that adjustment accordingly. And, you know, giving associates another $10,000 after the last couple of years is entirely in line, if not a little bit under uh, where inflation should put it, whatever. The whole the apparatus of mostly anonymous commenters who talk to the American lawyer and go grumble, 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 uh, grumble. you know, and they're always like an unnamed AMLA 50 leader, an unnamed in-house general counsel, like all of these 
kind of cowardly responses. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, I don't think anybody wants the heat of being the cheap firm, right? The firm that's unwilling to come out and say that they're not willing to pay the top of market, which is part of, I think, the anonymity uh, involved. But I also think we, first of all, I think you always hear these sorts of stories when somebody makes a compensation move. Mm-hmm. I think that they're yeah. pretty, yeah. That's my, that's what I was yeah. saying is yeah. like, Whenever this happens, the army of anonymous, somewhat cowardly people with titles like those start running to the American lawyer and its sibling publications, whether it's corporate counsel or whatever, and giving the give, prompt, giving fodder for stories in which everyone bemoans that firms need to stop paying associates so much because it looks greedy, which it's in the same breath that they will turn around in a few months and say, the new AMLA 100 is out, and look at how eye-popping the and awesome the profits per partner are. Because sure. if we're going to talk about somebody looking greedy, I don't understand why this only ever gets mentioned when it's giving associates an extra. That's a great point. Six percent yeah, raise. That's, that, that's a great, great point because no one ever applies the greedy factor when PEP gets. Yeah. You know, when when we talk about the profits per partner, but. The other thing I was going to say, and I think why maybe that you're going to hear more of these stories this go round, is that I believe very firmly that you're not going to have uh, an across the board matching situation to these raises. I think in the probably this will be the first time in my tenure at Above the Law where I think that this is really going to be true, where you're not going to see the top 100 firms all match. We, you did in all the previous sort mm-hmm. of raises. Uh, I think there are a couple of reasons for that. I think that not everyone has had as successful a year as Bill Bank quite obviously has mm-hmm. had. I think different practice areas have been impacted differently over the last year. And I think that firms are, that are more dependent on things like M&A or technology, you know, did not have the same kind of a year. And I think that that will create some stratification in the market. And, you know, there were also a round of layoffs for some of those firms as well. So I think that you're going to see different firms react differently to these sets of raises than we have historically. I think that's fair. I mean, we've definitely we we've definitely talked for a long time about how there is something of a stratification around you know that you can say the AMLA fifty, but it probably, probably is like around thirty five ish. where there's just there's just there's, there's just a drop off in, in that revenue. Mm-hmm. And so is it is it reasonable for those folks to be paying differently now? And, and I do mm-hmm. think it's interesting too, going back to your point about where you the line of what gets called greedy, where that where what gets called greedy. I think that there's also uh, kind of another entry about the information about the firm when you're talking about starting or talking about salary numbers, and mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to say, oh, these are the firms that pay this rate for associates, as opposed to sort of creating a line. Uh, oh, well, when the profits per partner get above this line, then they're in this level and below that line, they're at that level versus their ability to pay associates a certain a certain amount. I think really it creates a stamp on the firm. Also, profits per partner can fluctuate from year to year. You can have a good year, you can have a bad year, but we haven't ever seen anyone reduce starting salaries right. across the board for, um, for attorneys. So I think that that's also part of what kind of creates that line. And I think that the Millbank way of of deciding to share that good year with all the people who are doing the work, 
I don't think that sits well with everyone who potentially could, would make more money mm. <laughs> if if we don't give out that money. Right. Oh, and and that's and that's the ridiculous stuff. Yeah. It, it, it is it is just kind of a pure gaslighting done by people who want to remain anonymous, trying to poison the well so that nobody follows and pays the market what the market is worth. And 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 is it is it working? Is my question to you because this is the longest I've ever seen where a raise has been announced by a firm that is amongst the market leaders that no one has matched yet. That is true. However, I also think given that the time of year, this is the Mm -hmm. time of year when bonus discussions normally happen and normally they happen this week rather than back then. So there's a possibility that folks decided to hold off and keep it on the existing schedule that they were going to have for bonuses. So we may not be able to read as much into that as as we can. But I mean, it's also, it's entirely possible. I mean, I, I guess I don't have like a, a list of, of previous raise announcements in front of me, but they've happened at the end of the year before. Well, you know, it's interesting. Do I was going to say, that? I think, I think I do. Um, but it feels like an awful long time for there to be no comments mm-hmm. from, and, and, you know, it, listen, if, if you're hearing things internally at your firm and you wish to shed some light on it at tell your lo- lovely neighborhood local uh, above the law editors you can send that information to tips at above the law.com all tipsters are kept strictly confidential great the the last <laughs> the last several have been november 21st november 22nd is that bonuses or raises this is bonuses okay, right uh november 11 november 7 those were early then 19, 27, 28, December 7. That was a long one. November 21, December 2. So it really is kind of another. Yes, yes. If Milbank had only come out with the bonus information then, two things are true. I think we would have already seen matches, one. Mm. Two, I would not be surprised that we hadn't had met. If we hadn't had matches, I wouldn't have been surprised because people are going to make their bonus announcements when they're going to make their bonus announcements. It's the addition of the raise information that I am surprised no one has stepped up and matched. Yeah, I, I just think they're going to. I, it's also I think, recruiting season, though, too. I mean, to some extent, yeah, that's fair. But I, I just think that they're they're holding it to their original schedule. So I don't know as though we can we can really pull it out. I, whatever, it will uh, we'll see. Anyway, so that's uh, that's the situation on money. Obviously, we record this and it gets edited before it goes up. So because we just spoke it into existence, there will inevitably be a ton of raises between now and the time this comes out. But I mean, and if so, bless, you yeah. know, and I do think we're going to see matches. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the real question in my mind is whether we're going to see anybody come over the top yeah. of these Millbank numbers. Uh, if there is somebody that comes over the top, is it across the board or is it just for sort of those select classes, the the harder to keep at firm mid-level senior associates, which historically um, have gotten more largesse than other classes. Yeah. All right. Well, so with that said, I think we're done. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. You should subscribe to the show so you get new episodes when they come out. You should leave reviews, stars, write something. It always helps. You should be listening to other shows. Catherine's the host of The Jabot. I am the uh, a guest on the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable most weeks. You know, sometimes I'm not, but well, usually I'm a part of that little round, ta- round table talking about legal tech. You should listen to the other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Read Above the Law, because that's how you read these stories and others before we talk about them. You should follow this on the social medias, the 
aforementioned Twitter is uh, the it, the publication is at ATL blog. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at uh, Catherine One, the numeral one. Chris is at Rights for Rent, as in writing. We also have some Blue Sky penetration. I'm at Joe Patrice. Catherine's also Catherine One, and Chris is also Rights for Rent. So. With Just as a heads said. up, if there is some yeah. new social media that drops on there, I'm going to be Joe Patrice. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so just, just, just be prepared. That's great. Okay, with that said, let's uh, let's close this out. We'll talk to you all later. Peace. Peace. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.